0: everybody. My name is David Dries. Thank you. If you haven't been here in a few weeks, and you're like, where's Cody? He'll be back next week. So your friends that were church shopping, have him come back so you can see Cody, okay? Um, before we get started, I do want to say this. Uh, happy Father's Day. This is so fun. This is my second Father's Day. I'm getting very good at it. I played golf this morning. It was incredible. Um, with my son, he's terrible. He can't even lift the club. Uh, no, I pretty close. I played with Bob Fagley, and uh, no, I'm kidding. Bob was wonderful. It was incredible. Um, but hey, to the fathers in the room, uh, bless you. We love you guys. We're so thankful that we have a church that lifts up moms and dads, and uh, in a capacity where we want to empower them to to love their kids really well. And so, thank you for the people in this church that are not moms and dads right now. That you come around us and you love our kids really well, and you enable us to be really good dads. And so. Just, if you see a dad on the way out, you know, give him a, hey, thanks for the terrible jokes, you know, kind of thing, and give him a hug. So, anyways, happy Father's Day. I'm so excited about that. Uh, Before I get started really quickly in my stuff, I want to have Murray Watts come up here. Uh, Murray and his team just got back from Cambodia. Give it up for Murray. I want you to picture what Murray in Cambodia looks like. (laughs) I can only imagine. It was incredible. So, I'm gonna give Murray a few minutes. I'm gonna sit down, because I always feel weird when the other guy's just like standing up here smiling awkwardly. But Murray's gonna share his team just got back from Cambodia with our kids over there at the, at the orphan home that, uh, that we are supporting and loving. And so they did a lot of cool stuff. So, Murray, see that clock? Five
1: minutes. Yes, five minutes. I brought notes, because uh, there was a lot that happened in like eight days um, over there. We are so excited uh, for our partnership with Age's Hope, uh, and even more importantly, for what's going on in Cambodia as a nation. Uh, and we got a chance, I think we've got some pictures we can start putting up. Yeah. So that is us, um, actually the night we're leaving, um, we, yeah, so um, there's a lot going on in the picture. You can tell by the end we became family because Lakin is way far away from Luca, and Che is holding our baby that's asleep. We're intermingled. Um, but we show up, and we have this, this group of kids and a dad and a mom who know our names. They've been praying for us, they've been waiting for us. It was kind of weird at the beginning because we're like, we don't know you, but like, we love you and you're amazing. Like, let's hang out. So we did a lot of that um, because the purpose for our trip, uh, for a vision overall for our church, is we want to send multiple teams to Asia's Hope, multiple teams to Cambodia, uh, maybe even the D School. Simeon, if you're here, I'm making a push for that. Um, but we want this to be part of our church. They are now family to us. Um, and so we did a lot of exploring. We hung out with the kids a lot. We partner with organizations um, who are rescuing men and women out of the sex trade in Cambodia, um, rehabilitating them, giving them skills, showing them Jesus, um, releasing them to be free in Cambodia. Um, and so that's a lot of what we did. We did a lot of the hard things for the future trips. Um, we did a lot of the planning through David and Ali, going back and forth with all these organizations to really figure out what impact we can make going forward. So our team, I just if you're in here, I want you to stand up. I want people to see you live and in the flesh. Yes, I just want to honor those guys. They are the most bold and courageous people I've ever been around. Um, it was super fun seeing people who never been out of the country. They've never evangelized. They've never gone treasure hunting. If you don't know what that is, find me after we can talk about it. It's super scary, but it's amazing, and they just went for it. And I think we have another picture. Hopefully, it's um, we'll go with this one. Uh, <laughs> So this is my daughter. I couldn't get up here and talk without showing a picture of her. Um, that's Lily. She's a nine-year-old girl um, who has a crazy story. But again, we became family. Um, so we'll go to the next picture. Hopefully this is one. Yes. So that's Myra, who we just had stand up. Um, this was part of our evangelism. Not only do we want to go love on the kids that we had relationships with, we carry Jesus with us everywhere we go. And so we went out Uh, Through a language barrier, sometimes with an interpreter, sometimes not, going to pray for people uh, and asking God what he had for them. So this is actually Alyssa and Myra Davis, or Luke Davis, um, praying for this two-year-old girl who had a heart condition uh, with her mom. Um, We saw multiple people give their lives to Jesus because of evangelism. We saw um, multiple healings of people. Um, pe- two people on our own team got healed. Um, God was moving in Cambodia in, in, uh, in a faraway place. Um, we got to one of the organizations I'll share. Uh, it's called Daughters, and they have about 75 active women and men who they've, they've rescued out of the sex trade. And we got to go and pray for these women in two groups. We split up with an interpreter. Uh, we wrote out verses. We sat down as a team and said, okay, God, like, what do you want to share with these women? Um, so we, we wrote out 75 verses that we felt like God gave us. We sat down individually, prayed with these women, spoke identity over them, spoke identity over the men of who they are. Uh, people got healed and delivered in those prayers uh, in this Daughters of Cambodia place, out of all places. Um, we had dance parties. I don't have pictures or video, which is probably good for a lot of people in here. Yeah, those are, uh, we won't share those from the stage. Um, So, the next picture, I think that was was actually when we got there. Um, But one thing I want you guys to notice the contrast of this picture. We were happy, we're excited, we're a little stunned because we've been on a plane for 23 hours. And we looked nice. But if you remember that first picture, we actually became family with the kids that were there. Um, They call us brother and sister, they called Lakin and I mommy and daddy. Um, and it wasn't a situation where we go and we just give money and we get to take pictures and it's something cool. They are actually family. They tell us, man, thank you that you pour into us, and you're an inspiration to me because now I can go to college. We have university students that are uh, getting educated to go change Cambodia. If you're not familiar with what's going on in Cambodia now, it's it's a land that experienced genocide when my dad was in high school, so the late 70s. 1.6 1.6 million people were murdered in Cambodia. And so they're changing the culture of Cambodia. And it happens in Asia's Hope. It happens in these organizations. And it happened when we were on the streets and in restaurants, people giving their lives to Jesus. And so uh, just to kind of wrap up, uh, I wanted to share Psalm 2-8 with you guys. As a church of Antioch, Salt Lake City, we pray for the valley. We pray for the state. And we pray for the nations. And that's what we want. And God's promise in Psalm 2:8 is I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And I'm here to tell you today we have an inheritance in Cambodia because of the team that went and just went for it. Um, so we get to hold on to that and have that forever as a church family. Um, and I'll share what I said to the, uh, to the kids and our team the last night. Um, Ravi, who's the house dad in the red shirt down in a catcher's pose, He wanted me to share some words, and I'm like, I don't even know where to begin. But um, what I said was, uh, we may not share blood, but we are brothers and sisters. And for God's uh, glory to be shown in the earth, it's all people. No matter your story, no matter your background, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the language you speak, none of that, it's all for God's glory And so without us going, making new family, God's glory doesn't go across the earth. And because of this trip and the team that went, we now have shown God's glory there, here, and everywhere we go. Um, I went way over on time, so I will stop there. Um, But, yeah, I'm just super excited. I would love to tell everybody about it, way more in depth if we need to. Um, But hopefully from this we send multiple teams a year to go, hang with the kids, to partner with these organizations, uh, and see literally a nation changed because of Jesus.
0: Awesome! That is literally <laughs> that's literally a decade of of prayer answered. So that's so cool. <laughs> Cut it out, David. All right. Um, no, it's that, that's so cool. I mean, it's just amazing stuff. And what this is crazy is that we found out a few days before they left. You ready for this? Antioch, uh, the mothership down in Waco, uh, they're planning a church in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, which is, so I'm like, how does this, like, when we first started, it was like, God, what are you doing? It was like, oh, we're going to send people over, we're going to figure it out. And then it was like, okay, now we're also bringing a church from, from our people over there as well. And so I'm like, I don't know where this is going, but it's going somewhere really cool. So get on board or get out. Um. Just kidding. You can stay. Um, okay. So um, I'm going to finish up my piece here on Acts 9. Uh, we did 6 and 7 the first week. We did 8 last week, and now we're doing Acts 9. And Acts 9 is a really cool chapter because uh, two amazing things happen. We're going to focus really in on what happens with Saul. Um, before we get started, I want to share this. So uh, I travel for work, and oftentimes when I'm on airplanes, uh, I don't love flying. It's not because I'm I'm not scared enough to not get on. I recognize the value of a plane, but I don't love it. Like, I have weird ticks. Like, when I walk on, I rub the plane as I'm walking on, like it's a dog. Like, it's like, it's like that affects it whatsoever, you know? But um, I was like, good plane, you know, and I walk on. Um, and then I usually sit there, and I have music on, and I'm, like, contemplating life as I'm flying in, in the air, and I'm, like, slightly nervous. Anytime it bumps, I, like, text my wife. I'm like, we're going down. Um... <laughs> Like, I was so scared, and I usually put on, like, a slideshow of pictures of my f- my family, and I'm listening to music, and I'm just, like, crying. I'm like, this is... <laughs> right? And so, but, and then it transitions into this time where I'm like, okay, let's start thinking about life. Like, let's And I don't know why it's on planes, but I always contemplate, like, where we're headed, what we're doing, uh, the deeper things of life. And, and this kind of overlaid on my trip home from San Francisco on Tuesday with preparation for this sermon. And I started to think, okay... I don't want to survive life. Like, I feel like I, you know, I work really hard, I come home, we, we play with Ollie, we do dinner, we, we bathe him, we put him to sleep, we pass out on the couch, we wake up, we do it again. And I remember I had a high school kid that I was ministering to back in the day, he said, Dries, I don't want to survive anymore, I want to thrive. And I was like, that's so cute. But, um, but then I started thinking, that's an amazing statement. I don't want to just survive, I don't want to just get through life, I really want to thrive. And so, um, that's kind of the, the mindset I want you to put yourself in as we talk through Acts. Um, Oh, gosh. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Um, Acts chapter 9 is this amazingly transformative, changing moment in the church. And it's really, really cool. But um, let me just go to the word so we can get there. Um, So there's Saul, and he is literally the one that was there when Stephen was stoned to death. And he is literally ripping men and women out of their homes and parading them through the streets and having them killed and thrown in jail. And so chapter 9 starts off really in a terrible spot. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoner to Jerusalem. So he goes to the the people, the the high leaders, and he says... uh, hey, can I, can I get a letter that says I can just rip anyone I want out of their homes if they're a follower of the way and I can put them in jail and essentially have them killed. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. So, so Saul shows up in Damascus with that mindset. That's, that's the mindset he has as he's rolling the Damascus. Um, and I think, I think I have the verses here. Now let's, let's roll that up there. I almost said roll that beautiful bean footage. Remember that commercial back in the day? Uh, okay, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So Saul is on his way, and he has this ridiculous moment where God just like blasts him on his horse. He's riding, and all of a sudden, boom, shows up, and he's like, Saul, why are you doing this? And Saul's like, who who is that? He's like, it's me, the guy that you're literally persecuting, the person that you are physically murdering day in and day out. It's this incredible encounter. And so as I'm thinking through, like, okay, so what does it look like to not just survive life but to thrive it? I look at the situation, I go, okay, what happened to Saul? Saul had this incredibly radical, transformative experience. And I think sometimes when I think about that, I'm like, okay, as we venture into becoming Christians to, to start following Jesus, we have this moment where God changes our perspective. Where he, I don't know if you've been on a horse and he shines a light in your eye like, like Saul. But there's this moment where you have this radical transformation where you're, you have this heart shift and this mind shift from the way you used to look at life to the way that you now look at life. Like 2 Corinthians 5.17, does anyone know what it says? I, I'm guessing Madeline does, but I don't know if she's here today. Do <laughs> you know it? Yeah, therefore, anyone who is in Christ, good job, Aaron Drum, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, right? There's this moment where if you are in Christ, the old is gone. It's, it's not even a remnant anymore, it's gone, and the new has come. There's this radical transformation in our lives, and so that's what happens to Paul, but, but all he got was a little blinded right now, so I want to keep going. It says, um, now get up and go to the city. You must go. You will be told what to do there. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see any, he could see nothing. So they led him to the hand, by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So Saul gets up. He can't see any, anyway. And then some guys drag him, help him lead him to Damascus, where he was essentially going to kill Christians. And he shows up. And you can imagine the buzz in the city is like, Saul's coming. And if you're a member of the way, you're like, okay, we need to hide. But Saul kind of rolls into town super weak and, and blind and, and kind of confusing. And if you're a member of the way, if you're someone that's following Jesus, you're like, well, God, what are you doing here? I, I literally didn't know we were singing that song, but I started to think, like, they have to be like, what, what, move, what, what move is happening here? Like, what are you doing? But for Saul, he's got this internal dialogue now, like, okay, I've believed this one thing. I've lived my life around this one thing. And now I literally had this moment where God shifted everything. Now, here's what I want to do. I don't want you to think that if you didn't have this incredibly transformative moment when you met Jesus, that you are somehow not as venerated as this story in the Bible, right? This isn't about sensationalism. Because people have some amazing stories. I mean, the people that Murray talking about, some of them you hear and you're like, I can't believe you made it. Like, I can't believe your story. But then there's some of us who are like, I was raised in a Christian household, and one, one day I just believed the gospel. So this isn't about sensationalism. This is about there was a moment, and now hear me on this, there was a moment when you started seeing things in a different way, when your heart started shifting towards a different viewpoint. The old was gone, the new has come. Now, I'm not saying you grew up in a Christian household, and thus you became a Christian automatically. That's like standing in a garage and becoming a car somehow. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. Right? So there, there's still a moment, whether you meet Jesus at age four, because mom, your mom and dad shared him with you over and over to the point where you're like, oh my gosh, this is real. I believe this. Or, you're like me, and I'm sitting at age 14 as some dumb high school kid while some guy shares the gospel, and I finally am like, oh, wow. Or you're a 55-year-old guy who uh, someone preaches to you on the side of the street, and everyone else walks by that crazy preacher, and for some reason, he's struck by it. Or you're Saul, and you're riding a horse, and God literally goes, stop! You're done with this life. You're shifting. There's this massive transformative moment. And that's the beginning of going from I'm just surviving life, I'm just doing life, to I'm going to thrive in life. Now, I want to take an aside before we dive in more. When I say like thriving in life, I'm talking like a biblical thriving. And and I'll give you an example. There's a pastor named John Piper in Minneapolis. He's amazing. But he he told this story back in the 80s. But he talks about this couple. He said, oh, they're amazing. They have wonderful kids, they have wonderful grandkids, they you know, vacation a lot, they've seen the world, they've, you know, he retired, she retired, they've lived a good life. At the end of the days, they're walking on the beach and they're collecting these seashells and looking at different colored rocks, and like, oh, this is so pretty, and they hold them in their hands and they die. Um, and they get to heaven, this is a metaphor, and they get to heaven, and Jesus is like, what do you have to say for your life? And they're like, here are these beautiful seashells and some pictures of our kids. And not that Jesus would be like, go to hell, you're done. No, that's not how it works. But Jesus would look at him and say, that wasn't thriving. That was literally just surviving in a worldly way. And there's nothing wrong with having wonderful grandkids, and I hope I do. And there's nothing wrong with seeing the world. There's nothing wrong with those things, but they're all peripheral when it comes to what does it look like to thrive in your life in Jesus. And so we want to keep that as our foundation. This isn't about, like, your best life or how to do well and kick life's butt. The goal is how do we thrive in a life centered on Jesus? And so it gets real here. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase what happens next. So Saul shows up in Damascus, uh, and then God speaks to a guy named Ananias. And you're like, there's a lot of Ananias' in the Bible. It's like John probably. Um, so God's like, hey, Ananias, uh, Saul is here, and I want you to go meet him. And Ananias is like, hey, I don't know if you've heard about Saul, God. Um, but he kills us, like all of us. And God's like, I know who he is. I want you to go meet him. I want you to go bring him into your house. So if you're Ananias, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. Especially if you go to your wife. You're like, okay, this is going to sound crazy. I think I heard God tell me to go grab Saul from Tarsus. And your wife's like, mm that's not happening. Not in my house. <laughs> but anyways, Ananias is like, okay. So he goes and he gets Saul And I'm sure he was like, you know, and he opens the door, and Saul's there, and he's blind, and he's like, come on in. And this is where it gets crazy. Um, Next page, sorry. Uh, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you, that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regains his strength. So Ananias lays his hands on him, he prays for him. He's like, you, just like Murray talked about, you are not Saul from Tarsus. You have a new identity. You are a child of God. You are his chosen instrument. You are going to do great things for him. You are going to be loved by him. And Paul immediately has his eyes opened up. I mean, physically eyes opened up, but also metaphorically, right? He has a massive heart shift from who he was to who he is. And he eats some food, which I always think is funny when the Bible like, and then they ate some food and and felt better. They always throw that in there. I have no idea why. But Paul ate some food and and was like, okay, I feel good. And so here's where I want to go. The, The first piece of it is this radical transformation. And if you have put your trust in Jesus, you've gone through this radical transformation. But the second piece is this trust, this like submission to a process. Like Paul has said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get baptized. But what this means is I have to trust the God who saves. I have to trust the God who he says he is. I have to know that guy now. I have to trust this process of what does it look like to allow my life to be transformed and so, I just, uh, I want to I get you a verse. I think this is so cool. Where am I at? Oh, yeah. He has to trust his process of becoming a disciple. And, and this is what's crazy, and this is what I want to get to. This is where it goes next. You ready for this? This is crazy. Do we have it up there, the next verse? I think we do. Yeah. So, then it says, after he ate some food and was nourished. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Anyone want to guess how long several days is? It's three years. Yeah. If you read Galatians 1 17 and 18, it says Saul then spent three years in this situation. And then Luke was like, he spent a few days, like a thousand. Saul spent seven or a thousand days, three years. After this conversion moment, that's this radical transformation moment, learning the process, learning what it looks like to be a disciple. So this is where it's at in my Bible. You ready for this? There's a tiny little bit of white space right there. He ate food. Then there's that header that's not actually in the Bible. And then it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. There's this tiny little white space that represents three years of Paul's entire life. That's crazy to me, because I'm like, how long is this going to take, God? I've been doing this for a week. I've been reading my Bible every day. I committed myself to you, and I've read and I've prayed every day for like a week. When are you going to move? I'm like, what was Paul doing for three years? How was he like, okay, so what next? Three years later, it says this, three years later, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And then, then he goes to Jerusalem and he meets Peter and the apostles. And he gets to hang out with Peter for 15 days and learn from Peter all that Peter has to say about who Jesus is. And then he disappears. Guess how long for? <laughs> Several days times five. He disappears for 14 years. Galatians 2.1 He went to Arabia for 14 years, and then he comes back, and he's like, all right, let's do this. Like, I think sometimes we look at Paul in the Bible, we're like, oh, that guy's amazing. I'm like, he spent 17 years that we know of learning how to follow Jesus. You ready for this? Moses, when he was 40, God was like, you're going to save the people. Do you know what Moses did then? He went and worked for his stepdad, or his father-in-law, for 40 years. Tending sheep. Talk about a life fail. You're working for your your father-in-law tending sheep for 40 years at age 40. (laughs) Right? You know, he's like, God's like, you're gonna save my people. And Moses was like, yes. 40 years later, and then he goes out in the desert and he's lost for 40 years. Come on, God. I know, right? Joseph, God's like, you're gonna do amazing things for your people, you're gonna rescue them, but for two decades. He is a slave in Egypt right after he hears that. I mean, that's crazy. And so there's this trust in the process of what does it look like to go through the process of becoming a follower of Jesus. Not that it's just like you got to go through it and then you become a follower. There's that radical transformation. But here is where we are in this ridiculously tiny white space in my Bible that represents three years and then eventually 17 years. Billy Graham is an amazing minister, and did some incredible stuff. Hundreds of thousands of people met Jesus because of Billy Graham. You know what he said at the end of his life? I wish I'd spent more time reading the Bible, praying, and learning before I ever had my first crusade. And some of us would say, no, that's silly, Billy, because you had it. And think about all those people. Silly Billy. <laughs> I don't think anyone would say that Tim. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You should, you, you should have started sooner. Think about the impact that you would have had on top of the people. If you had started a year earlier and he said, I wish I had spent way more time getting ready knowing my God before I ever went out there and started a crusade. Now, this is not, again, a freedom for you to be like, oh, I guess I never have to do evangelism until I'm 90. No, no, that's not it. The whole idea is you have to have, we have to have this trust in the process. The process takes a long time. Philippians 1.6, does anyone know what it says? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We are progressively being worked on. So let's turn it to ourselves. Are you allowing yourself to be worked on? Or are you just surviving and doing other things and hoping that by some weird osmosis, biblical verses will land in your brain and this compassionate heart to give will just come out of your wallet and you'll just show, you'll you'll all of a sudden just want to walk up to people and start telling them what the Holy Spirit has said to you because you don't listen to them, but I'm sure someday I'll just talk to you. And I'm speaking to myself because I am terrible at that last one. Are you allowing yourselves to be transformed, to go through the process, to trust that process? This is an amazing story of trust. You ready for this? I'm playing golf with Sean Michaels this morning. And he told me I could share this, so I'm going to. Um, a few weeks ago on a Tuesday, he had $1,000 that he was holding back, that he was going to tithe to the church. And he was holding it back because they were having a financial issue. And he said on Tuesday, I felt like God was like, why are you holding this money? And he was like, I'm holding it because I'm scared for my family and I'm scared for my well-being. I'm scared that if I give it away, we will need it. And then what? And God was like, no, no, that's not your money. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. Give it away. That's why the money has already been earmarked. It's not yours. So Sean, because he's amazing, gave it away. Him and his wife said, okay, fine. We'll give it away. That's what, God, that's what God's asking for. And then that following Sunday, if you remember a few weeks ago, Cody was like, I don't know what's happening. I feel like God was like, let's pull an audible here. There's some people here that have some financial issues. Please stand up if you need it. And they stood up because they're ballers. And they were like, yeah, we're going to be humble and we're going to be vulnerable. And so they stood up. And then, and then the church met their need in that space. Now they wouldn't have had that need if they had just kept on to that money. But they also wouldn't have gotten to experience Jesus whatsoever. They would have been like, whew, we really sneaked by on that one. We were lucky there, but instead they got to experience Jesus because they trusted. There's this process of what does it look like to progressively grow in your faith? Let's finish this bad boy. I wish we could have talked about Peter and Dorcas. I'm so sad. You need to go and read the rest of nine starting at 32. There's a woman named Dorcas. Um, I'm not kidding. It's so awesome. It makes me giggle. Um, Her real name is Lydia, but like the Greek is like, it literally says you can also call her Dorcas. I'm like, Tabitha. I'm like, why would you do that to Tabitha? Someone in here is named Tabitha, and they're like, oh, gosh. Um, Sorry, we got to keep going. What am I doing? Um, So here's what happens to the rest of it. Saul spends the rest of his time in Damascus, and he starts preaching. He starts sharing what he knows about Jesus to the Jewish people that he came from. And they are like, rejecting him, and they're arguing with him, and, and it's not going well. At one point, they were like, let's just kill him. And so they try to kill him, but Paul and his friends sneak. This is so fun. This is why the Bible should be a movie that's, like, really good, one that's made well. Um, they sneak him out of the town by lowering him in a basket over the wall. Like, I want to see what that looked like. But that's how he got out, and then he goes away, and he continues to learn what it means to know Jesus and follow Jesus. And then here's the thing he does. Because Paul's ministry was about 30 years long before he was killed. He had this radical transformation, and then he had this trust in this process. And then he had this endurance, this um, commitment. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. He had this endurance and this commitment to finish strong. Right? He uses so much language of like a runner or an athlete or a soldier with the endurance. But but here's where the endurance comes from. It's not this like guttural, I'm going to make it happen by my sheer willpower. It's an understanding of who he is in Christ. And some of you are like, yeah, 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 it's really good. That's awesome. But like, I want you to hear this. Ready? He didn't transform himself. God did it. But it happened because he allowed himself to be transformed because he remembered who God is and everything that God says about him and everything God says about himself. And that is a catalyst to change him and grow him. That's the same catalyst, just like no one shared What he was saying, That's the same catalyst that can change you and grow you. But here's the thing. It's not about your sheer willpower. Like you don't, you and your boyfriend and girlfriend, you're not going to stop fooling around with each other because you're like, we're just not going to do it. That's like an alcoholic be like, I'm just not going to drink anymore. Except everything inside of him is like, oh, I just want to drink. Do you know why you go to AA? So you can surround yourself with people who can walk through that with you. But that doesn't get you anywhere if at the end of it you're like, okay, no longer drink. The whole goal here is that you get Jesus at the end. And so when it comes to driving yourself out of behavioral issues or it comes to driving yourself about the way you think about the world, the way you treat people or the way you venerate in awe or you worship God, it has to come from a heart of I know who Jesus is and that's my motivation behind change. It can't be because I don't want people to think that um, I mess around with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and so uh, if, they don't, if they know about it, then I won't look like a good Christian. It's because I want God to be glorified. I want to be holy as he is holy, which is what he calls us to. And that same thing applies to your marriage, and that same thing applies to your finances. I mean, like, let's get vulnerable here. My wife and I have some debt that I'm embarrassed about, like embarrassed about because it controls us. The only way to get out of that is from some sort of radical change in the way we live our life. And then bringing people around us and with accountability. But ultimately, I want to do it because I want to be freed up not to be a servant to that. I want to be freed up to be a servant of the king. I mean, that has to be my motivation. Or what's the benefit of getting out of debt? If it's not to serve and honor the king, I just got out of debt, and then I get to go do on a vacation again. I mean, like, who cares? Why, why do you going to hold up to God at the end of the day? It's here are my seashells, and I went to Greece. Like, that, what's the point? Okay, sorry. John, First John 4.1. A sweet, short little verse. We're going to finish here. Anyone know it? We love. Thank you, Madeline, of course. We, that's not something to be, that's amazing. We love because He first loved us. Okay, that's why you get your debt under control. That's why you get your relationship cleaned up. That's why you stop letting things control you and drive you. That's why you start pushing yourself to wake up every morning and read the Bible because he first loved us. I was in a play when I was in high school and uh, my character, no joke, was old Jewish man. That was my character. I had no lines and I had a little bag of feathers that at the end I rip open <laughs> and it's some sort of metaphor for something. I have no idea. My other friend Grant had one line and his line was, there's nobody at the door. He just That's what his line was. And I remember we got to his part, and our director was like, cut, stop, Grant, do your line again. And I was like, why? It's just one line. And he'd be like, there's nobody at the door. She'd be like, I want you to emphasize different words. He'd be like, okay. He'd be like, there's nobody at the door. And she was like, do it again. And he'd be like, there's nobody at the door. And she made him go through it, like, constantly. And then she moved on, and we're like, what was the point of that? But here's the, I'm like, God did that just for this, Ready? We love because he first loved us. I sat on this verse for a long time, a few years ago, and I thought, oh my gosh, listen to this, ready? We love because he first loved us. Like, that's what we do. That's what we were designed to do. That's who you were created as, someone who loves. We love. Ready for the we? We do it together. It's a corporate thing. No one does it in isolation. We love, ready? We love because he first loved us. There is a catalyst. There is a reason why you get up early and you read the scriptures, you get up early and you pray, while you sit down with your husband and wife and say we're going to be good with our finances, while you sit down with someone and you say I'm not going to be unholy in this relationship, while you sit down with people and you progress through all of your things that are keeping you from knowing Jesus because we love because there is a catalyst, something drives you. you ready for it? We love because He first loved us. His initiating love on the cross, His initiating love to come down, His initiating love to never let us go, is what drives that transformative change, is what allows us to adhere to that process of becoming more and more like Him. So none of this matters unless you understand that the, the passion and the desire all come because that's who God was. And that's, that's the catalyst that drives us there. Okay, so I don't want to end three weeks of preaching without saying this. Like, all these weeks have just driven us, hopefully, to this point of, like, I want to, on one hand, know Jesus so fiercely that when sin does come my way or temptation does come my way, I just go... I want to know Jesus so fiercely that I want to be in the trenches with my people when they're struggling with sin. I want to be in the trenches with my people because I also want to lift them up and point their eyes to Jesus. But all of this is predicated on this idea that because you have been transformed, because the old is gone and the new is coming, you are a new person in Christ, you then get to spend the rest of your days on this side of eternity trying to know him more, trying to dive into his word and his prayers and know him so that you know him They are like so that what so that i no so that you know him that's the end of the story paul or saul who became paul with a new identity was radically transformed in that moment now he was murdering christians and you're like he's the worst he was the worst he even said he was the worst but God transformed him. So there's nothing in your life that God can't redeem ultimately for his glory. So here's your homework because I know that you went and read something that you weren't, you'd never read before. I already know that. So I'm not even going to bother going back to that. It's called teacher guilt. Um, <laughs> here's your homework. You need to sit down by yourself with a piece of paper. and You need to write down, Jesus, show me Where I'm missing you. Show me how to know you more. Show me the areas that I have to submit to you and trust you in like Sean did. You're like, I don't know all these questions. Just just sit down with Jesus and just go, Jesus, I want to know you more. Tell me what I'm supposed to ask. Because it's so important that we remember that most of Paul's incredible ministry came from right there in that white space of him learning who Jesus was so that he could be the person that we see in the Bible. Okay? I'm going to pray. We're going to have ministry time. Come on up, get prayer. Just be vulnerable, be you. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for, um, thank you for the fact that you do redeem, that you do transform, that You do have a a process that you walk us through, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that um, there's nothing that we are doing or or are or acting like that is too far to be redeemed. I pray that you would remind us that the catalyst, that the, the foundation of our heart's desire is the fact that you loved us first and you gave us the ability to love you. Amen.